Good afternoon or evening, whichever the case might be. I don't know where you are, but this is Dennis Tooley, the host of The Warrior's Way. And uh, for those of you who this may be your first time listening, uh, let me tell you that The Warrior's Way is a podcast that is fully intended to bring encouragement and inspiration for anyone dealing with uh, multiple sclerosis or any chronic uh, illness that uh, might get you down. Uh, There's a lot of similarities between what happens for those of us with MS and uh, for those who have other chronic illnesses. And so uh, if you're listening and you don't have MS, welcome aboard and I hope you learn something and I hope it becomes uh, beneficial and helpful for you. And in the process, you can share some of what we have, uh, you can share with others. But welcome to The Warrior's Way. Uh, today, uh, I am pleased to uh, introduce uh, a guest that we have uh, here uh, joining us on the Warrior's Way. He's joining us via the telephone. Uh, I believe he's, uh, he's on his uh, world tour uh, of uh, the pristine vacations of Kentucky, I'm not sure. But uh, welcome to the show, John Bryant Lee. Welcome to the show, uh, John. I've been totally close to the whole week leg thing is totally... Uh, a buzzkill for everyone who gets to enjoy this wonderful experience we call MS. Well, John, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, when you started on the Warrior's Way. When when were you diagnosed with MS, and uh, what were some of the symptoms that uh, kind of led you to uh, finding out that your diagnosis with uh, with this disease? Well, it, it was a complete surprise. I remember my spring of 98 and I went to the University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio so nice and warm nice and warm there uh, so I it was in the later part of the spring and I got an upper respiratory infection upper and lower respiratory infection I got antibiotics and just forgot all about it and then uh, I it was time for me to come home after school uh, was over for the semester and I got home and I was doing fine I had lost about a hundred a little over 100 pounds about a semester before. Uh, and so I was running every day two to four miles. And when I got home, I'd get up and I'd go run. And it was very beautiful where, uh, where we used to live. And I came in, after running, I came and sat down on the deck. And I would look and I would get this electric shock that would go through my neck around my cheek. And I mentioned it to my mom. Uh, something that feels weird, and I had a tendency to be a little bit of a drama king back in my days, and so my mom just overlooked it, and I just overlooked it because I really realized at that time, it's like, you know, I could make a mountain out of a bullhead. So I was sitting there and didn't pay attention to it again, and I continued doing what I usually do, and one day, it was close to my birthday, I started noticing I had this little, it looked like a tiny little gray in my left eye and it's like this is very strange and about that time I was starting to get real dizzy for no reason I, I felt like I had sea legs hmm. and around that time since my baby brother is 12 years younger than I loaded him up told him we're going to the emergency room to see what this is going on and I had where I had, had that uh, respiratory infection a month earlier uh, I thought I had an inner ear infection because I've had trouble with my right ear. And so I loaded my brother up and went out to the emergency room and the doctors checked me out, put 
I was. So went home, and that was about it. Then, then it started coming around to where I really could not walk in a straight line, and I started vomiting on coming. And you know, I could just sit there talking and laughing, but whatever. Next thing you know, I was throwing up on the floor. And so, that was that was pretty fun for uh, like a party trick, wasn't it? Oh, I know. So I would just tell people I was drunk. I remember. Uh, when I got back to college, uh, my college roommate saw me. This is before I was diagnosed. And he looked at me and goes, have you been drinking, buddy? And it's like, yes, I have, Dad. <laughs> yes, not. But, uh, so this went on throughout the summer. And my mom and dad ended up uh, having me scheduled with a neurologist. Uh, before that happened, I went and saw the ophthalmologist. And he said, you have optic neuritis. And I was like, oh, so... He made the referral, and on the suggestion of my parents, I went to the neurologist. And when I went to see the neurologist, you know, he looked at me and did, you know, the basic, you know, some basic test. He didn't do the full, the full spectrum. He said, I'm going to order an MRI. Well, I went and had the MRI and came back and had the meeting. At this time, I was vomiting on command. I'm blind in my left eye. I got the sea legs like crazy. And... Once we came back, my mom and dad and I went to the neurologist, and he got the results. I had no lesions, nothing suspect at all. So I was like, oh, I don't have a mess. So, of course, as I mentioned before, while I was such a drama king when I was a kid, my mom and dad said, well, maybe he's just got something, you know, you know, nerves or something. Right. So we uh, drive back to Texas, uh, my mom and my baby brother and I did, and... You know, we did the whole thing at Corpus Christi on the beach, and but I wasn't able to stay out because all I could do was sit on the side of the bed in the hotel room. I was so dizzy, and I would get these random nausea spells, and my vision on my left eye, and I was I felt like I was drunk, but I wasn't drunk. Right. So we. And then going back to, my mom uh, took me back to San Antonio, then I went and dropped them off at the airport. And when I got there, uh, it's like, this feels really, really weird. And my college roommates uh, were noticing, you know, some things, and I was trying to be shy and coy, but not me at all. And I ended up going to uh, the emergency room there in San Antonio. And... They looked at me and said, you just got an ear infection. It's like, okay, the seventh round of antibiotics I had done. And the doctor said, I'm going to refer you to an inch. And I said, oh, okay, because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with my eardrum, what was making me so sick. And, of course, they were ignoring the fact that I was blind in my left eye. And stuff. Right. So I, I ended up going to this. ENT in Rosenthal in San Antonio. Her name was Dr. Donna Gibbons. And she was the most remarkable, remarkable, most compassionate and intelligent ENT. And she was looking at me and she was checking. She started questioning me a little bit about MS. And I told her, well, they did an MRI and I didn't have anything. And she looked at me. She said, oh, okay, let me do something. I'm going to give you a shot of corticosteroid, just to see maybe that'll help you a little bit with your balance. You know, she wasn't coming out insinuating uh, multiple sclerosis. So I said, oh, okay. And I remember two days later, I was walking across campus, 
Mm. And it's like, this is, this is wonderful. And so she had ordered an MRI with and without contract. So I ended up going, having the MRI, and this is two weeks after that appointment. So I was in my room laying down. It was in the evening after, after all of the classes and all of the busyness on campus for the day. Uh, I get a phone call, and it was Dr. Gibbons. And she said, John, this is Dr. Gibbons. I'm afraid you're calling to this late. I, you know, I was afraid you wouldn't be able to answer the phone or what have you. So is it okay? I said, oh, sure. And I, I started getting that feeling in the pit of my stomach. And uh, I could tell she was starting to brace herself for any type of response. So she said, we got the MRI result, and it shows that you have various lesions, black lesions that are reminiscent of multiple sclerosis or you know, compatible with multiple sclerosis. And I could tell she was really brave and she was waiting for something to come out and I just looked, right. I just looked at the phone and I said, oh, thank God, something that can be treated. My father would kill me spending all the money for all of these medical <laughs> And so, like, after I got the, you know, relief, even though I, at the time, I had been slowly subconsciously preparing myself for it. And so she called me and she told me she'd called my dad and told him. And I got the phone, I was relieved because I was feeling 100% with that corticosteroid shot. So I ended up uh, calling my mom and the whole, you know, whole thing. I think she cried harder than I would have ever thought. And uh, that was it with that. So the next day, uh, I mentioned it to my friends, and I have a wonderful group of friends, because they gave me like a half-day degree, and then after that, they said, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're going to get back up, and you're going to move, and I tell you what, I have a bunch of friends. One of the perks, too, being in the early, early 20s, and uh, not able to have alcohol because of steroids, you were the cool designated driver. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, I was feeling like miserable myself. And 
little brother and I had such a close relationship since he was born. It's like, I'm not going to let my baby brother become upset over something that he has no control or he might not understand. Right. And so what I would do if I would bumble up or, you know, stumble or, you know, kind of like even burn my hand by touching a pot a little bit, I would laugh and joke. And, uh, of course, it killed me at the time to do that. But my baby brother started becoming very comfortable, a lot more comfortable, because he would see it wasn't destroy. I wasn't allowing it to destroy me. Right. And so we've got this good rapport now that, you know, MS is a joke to us because we can laugh. I mean, I'm ambulatory. I, you know, can function normally. I just had a setback because I was in the hospital uh, three and a half years ago for three months for something that wasn't related to MS. So I'm having to get my uh, weight-bearing going again on my legs, which has been quite interesting. But at that time, I started to really find that this is something that I'm not going to get rid of on my own, and it's like something that I'm going to have to deal with, but I'm not going to deal with it like uh, a lazy roommate. I am going to take control to the best of my ability. And one of the great things uh, that had happened, uh, once I got back to San Antonio and after the, while waiting for the results of the MRI, uh, <clears throat> I called my best friend Meredith, and I called her and was talking to her. She had an internship in Washington, D.C. for the summer. And I called, I was going to ask her about her internship, and she said, oh, well, it's quite interesting. And I, you know, we were discussing it further, and she said, I was assigned to the National Multiple Sclerosis Society group there in Washington, D.C. I said, wow, that's quite interesting because they're actually investigating the possibility of me having multiple sclerosis. And so it's like, wow. So she was my champion in San Antonio because she and I, she would go to the support group meetings if there was. She would go to any type of event and help me. And between her and my big brother, of course, my parents and my stepdad were personas of my brother, you know. So, but they were there with me, importantly. I don't want to leave them out. But my two biggest champions, my baby brother, Greg, and my best friend, Meredith, because they both knew me in a certain way and knew how to get me to laugh, or at least motivate me to the point where I would want to make them laugh. Right. And having done that, I mean, I wasn't goofy with them. She's like, oh, well, just looked at it. It's like, well, okay, I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work, then I'll just be a stupid college kid. <laughs> uh, after after that, uh, you know, it was wonderful. I continued. I finished my bachelor degree. It didn't stop me, and I was pushing a lot of credits at the time. And um, I would also try to do other things to keep my mind off of it. And if it was super challenging to me, if it was something that I loved, it wasn't going to stop me. I decided, you know what, uh-uh. life has too many ups and downs, and I'm going to be on the upside of life. I, I fully so, agree I, with I, that mentality. Definitely, and you know, I've had people, I've had friends and, and others tell me, oh, well, I would just kick back and relax. It's like, when you have multiple strokes, you don't do that. I mean, it, it's an impossibility, impossible, I should say, but setting back 
and allowing the disease or the illness, I should say, allowing the illness to control you is the most miserable, asinine thing. And I decided I don't want to exist. I'm going to live to the best of my ability. Yeah. And I ended up telling my neurologist uh, in San Antonio, as referred by Dr. Gibbons, uh, she told me on a phone call that there was a young neurologist who specialized in MS, and she'd only been in practice for about a year, and she was wanting to start her own practice, and she was looking for patients. So she ended up referring me to Dr. Ann Bass in San Antonio, Texas. I ended up going to see her. It was great. She wasn't much older than me, and she was very knowledgeable, and she really cut a lot of my anxiety regarding illness. And I'm, I still have her as my neurologist today, and she's kept me on top all of the latest treatments and medicine. If there's a new MS medicine that would benefit me, she has it right. She, she has it on my doorstep, it seems like, the next day. And she, that's why I've done so well with it, because of the medical team that has been taking care of me right. and my family and my friends. Well, and I think it's uh, and, I think it's it's important. It's critical for anyone with MS that they have a a good solid neurological team that is kind of keeping track of the disease, where it has been, where it's going, and how you can try to stay in front of it with treatment. But then it's also equally important to have that support team side by side with you as you're meeting with your medical team and your, you have your support staff, you're, you're better equipped to face this monster head on. Oh, definitely. And, and as I've become older, I've started to look. You know, all of the, the friends that I have, I had to realize, like, wait a minute, they have something wrong with them, too. Not all of them, but just normal getting older and genetic traits and everything. And that kind of helped me to put things into perspective. And I started to see, it's like, yes, I might be suffering, but there are others who are suffering way more than me. They might not look like it, but they are. That kind of helped pull me back down to reality. Uh, of course, you know, being in your early 20s, just fresh from college, you have a tendency to be quite ambitious and go beyond your means. And I, I pushed myself. I ended up Novantrone treatment because that was the big deal at the time, which basically wiped out your immune system. But I was running again. I was functioning like I had never been ill. Mm. Uh, and I ended up, before starting this, I ended up going back to graduate school. I was working 40 plus hours a week because I was editor, managing editor of a magazine. And I went to graduate school at the same time, and I was pushing my credit course load. Doing that, and then I, I also do one of my hobbies that I really love doing is uh, restoring plaster statuary. So I ended up getting this historic church's old statue. So I was doing my last semester of graduate school, working 40 plus hours. I was writing a master's thesis. Uh, as I said, working and doing a lot of other things. And I just kept pushing. And some days it got hard, I wanted to cross. But it's like, you know what? There, there's no room for babies on this journey. You have to really push and push and push. And there were times where I didn't, couldn't see myself making it, but it's like, you know what? Nobody's going to do it for me. Right. And that's one of the things I've really had to take away from it. It's like, you know, fuck 
cumbersome than what they would have been. But in order to do that, you have to make it up in your mind to say, you know what, this might look stupid. This might inconvenience somebody else. It's actually funny, which is sad, but, you know, uh, just go ahead and do it and, and try your best to live your life, not as a victim, but as a person who happens to have something right. that makes you do it. It, it's, it's interesting because uh, for the last several years I have been involved with uh, the MS Cruisers. It's a group that uh, every year they take people with MS on cruises and uh, they provide programs for, during, the, the, uh, during the cruise uh, while they're at sea and, and those things. They have uh, workshops and, and events and, and different things going on. And I've been... Uh, getting involved with them, and uh, in fact, uh, coming up in in March, I'm going to be on the MS cruise uh, with MS Cruisers out of uh, out of LA for kind of the a West Coast cruise. And the theme for this year's cruise uh, is live out loud, and it's it's that focus of okay, yes, you you have a disease, yes, you have struggles, but don't let that control you and don't let that determine how you live instead you can make the choice live out loud to to live with uh, a focus of positivity and uh, a focus of uh, conquering and overcoming and thriving and so uh, I, I'm excited about uh, the sessions that we're going to have there on the cruise because I think it's uh, that whole focus of hey uh, don't let don't let MS control you and determine your path. You determine it and and go out there and live out loud. That's definitely because one thing I've learned with MS is like this is not going to keep me down. I've been very fortunate. I pushed myself and pushed myself and with the help of my friends uh, as well. And I did it. I was able to travel. I've been to Europe three times. My vacation has been wonderful. Uh, I've been to 38 of the 50 states. I've met a lot of very interesting people. I've had a very interesting life because I realized, like, I'm not going to let this take me down. I mean, there's some times I just want to, like, sit in my room and say, I just wish the whole world would just, like, fall down. But, right. you know, that's just part that I started to realize. That's just part of being human. Yeah. And, and as I'm starting to separate, you know, being human from being a trauma king, you know, which is very easy to do when you have a chronic illness. I decided, you know what, life is too short and too rich for me to give up. Right. Because of some things that I didn't ask for. Yeah. And, and so one thing about it, my, my late father, he would always challenge me by telling me, oh, he said, oh, well, I need to do something, but I don't think you can do it. I remember the summer that I was getting sick, uh, we had an above-ground pool, and we needed a new liner, and the company dropped the liner off in the box, and the most liners weighed at 75 pounds, you know. Yeah. And my dad looked at me and said, John, go grab that box and bring it around here. And he's like, oh, nah, don't worry about it. You're not even good. And it's like, watch me, old man. <laughs> I, before I grabbed that box, I drug it through the house. I mean, I was carrying it a bit and driving it a bit. And I brought it in there, looked up, threw it onto that porch. And my dad looked at me and goes, what did you do? It's like, don't you dare tell me that I can't 
something because I'm going to do it. And you know, so. That's the that's the quickest way to get somebody uh, that anybody that has a competitive spirit and has any drive whatsoever. Tell them they can't do something, and they're gonna they're gonna do everything they can to prove you wrong. You know, so. Oh, oh, definitely. Like that's the way I am, and I I learned, uh, and I'm learning that I had a tendency uh, to be kind of goofy or want to frame myself as goofy or act naive and dumb. Like, I'm, I'm very aware of what's going on. I know you feel threatened because, you know, I might have an illness or something, but, you know, I'm very aware. I'm not moving around like you. Right. You know, just because you you have a diagnosis. I mean, damn, it's diagnosis. No one has it. And uh, I just take it that way. It's like, well, this is my problem. What's yours? <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, you and that's, that's where, you know, I my philosophy of life when it comes to MS, and I say it all the time, MS is a speed bump on the road of life. It may slow me down, but is definitely never going to stop me. I'm going to keep rolling, I'm going to keep doing, so it's just a speed bump on the road of life. Oh, definitely. As I told my neurologist, my MS specialist, uh, I was telling her, it's like, she was asking uh, a certain, you know, when they're doing the diagnostic test and everything, and as I looked at it, I told her, I go, I'm going to kick it fast before it kicks mine, because this is something where, even though you might be put back, or have to have a step back, and, and kind of take a time out for a bit, that doesn't mean you're out of the game. It means that you just need to take a breather, and then once you get your energy back, then tackle it head on. And it has to be tackled And I sat and thought about that for a while, and seeing 
relatives that have had to deal with that issue. I thank God. I don't thank God for being ill, but I thank God that I've been giving a crap sandwich, but thank goodness they didn't put mustard on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll take I'll take the crab sandwich. No mustard, please. Uh, well, John, I, I, first of all, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Uh, and but before we wrap up tonight, um, wanted to I wanted to ask you: Is there something? Uh, maybe somebody has has uh, given you a word of encouragement or a word of uh, uh, challenge, uh, some advice, something that has been beneficial to you that uh, you would like to share with uh, with our listening audience? Yes, I would. Uh, the one of the most beneficial things that has been given to me, and it's just been recent, and now I'm starting to make sense of it. The occupational therapist that works with me regularly, she told me, get out of your head. And hmm. it took a second, and then I started, you know, realizing that a lot of my problems are because I'm in my head. I'm not outside of myself. And as I begin to start pulling myself outside of myself, I'm noticing the things that were once difficult become a lot easier and a lot lighter. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people might be struggling with, uh, that whole emotion, psychological, emotional aspect of it, which is self-deceiving, as I'm saying. It, it's still been a struggle because going on, I'm starting to realize, like, wait a minute, first of all, this isn't something that could be worse. Second of all, I'm going to be okay as long as I stay out of my mind, you know. Right. And so it, it's really important to have a wonderful team surrounding, surrounding you. I'm not married, and that's happened, you know, at that time of my life, and it, it complicated that. And uh, I, it's very important to have loved ones around you and to have dear friends, dear close friends, uh, because I've got friends now that I never would have thought I'd have had. And that's all that really I can say. And this has shown me that I can do much more than what I've ever dreamt of doing, because everything I've really dreamt of doing, I've done it while having multiple throats. Right. And that's the whole, back the whole, get your head out of the game. And uh, so once that's or not out of the game, I should say, to get yourself out of your mind so you can get yourself out and function as normally as possible. And I, I think that's a lot of what I've noticed that my peers with multiple sclerosis would be so tied up with, you know, can't, can't, or, or even well-intentioned therapists, physical therapists or whatever, saying, oh, you can't do this. It's just like, oh, oh, no let them know I'm going to do it. There's certain, there's certain limitations that cannot be overcome, but a majority of them can be. Right. And get out of your head. And I think, I think that's where it, it's interesting that you say that because when uh, when I was talking with the with the uh, with the group about uh, the theme for the MS cruise of Live Out Loud, it was kind of, it was in that same kind of in that same understanding of you've got to get out of the conversations that you're having with the voices in your head because you know, those the, the conversations you're having there, yeah, you know, it's it's all things that uh, you've kind of con- 
uh, conjured up in the back of your mind and it's not necessarily the truth and so you get it out of your head and you start to uh, to see that once it's out in, in you're having conversations for real uh, that it's much easier to deal with and so uh, the idea is you need to live out of your you know out get outside of your your own thinking and the those little conversations you're having with make-believe voices and you need to live out loud and but living out loud there's there's a kind of a double entendre there that you get to uh, live in in the reality where you're sharing your thoughts and concerns and questions with others and you're interacting with other people they're going to be support to you and they're going to help you through those days but also the the idea of living out loud is that there is something about uh, the, the greatness and the boisterousness of life that happens when you get out of your head and you start to live out and you live out loud. Oh, definitely. And, and one of the main things with living, not living in your head that I have learned over the years is don't ever read about the illness because the only persons who are going to write or respond are the ones who are having terrible times. Right. And second of all, multiple sclerosis is different for everyone because somebody who's in a wheelchair doesn't mean the other one is going to be. And uh, that is that is the main point because I think a lot of my suffering is what I encroached in on myself. Well, John, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule tonight uh, to... Uh, visit with us here on the Warrior's Way. I appreciate you sharing your story and, and just the words of encouragement that, uh, yes, there are some negative things about this disease, but that's not what we want to let keep our focus or will let control us. We want to choose to find the good and rely on the, those around us to help us find that and keep moving forward. And so, John, I appreciate you taking your time and uh being part of the warrior's way tonight and we will uh we probably will have john back with us here on the warrior's way again in the near future uh mostly because uh as as i have gotten to know john just a little bit uh i realize that here's a guy that uh that understands what it means to encourage and and to challenge others to find the good in moving forward with this monster we call MS. So uh, thank you so much for being part of uh, The Warrior's Way, and uh, please share the podcast with others. Subscribe to the podcast and, uh, and encourage others to join in and listen with us. And this is Dennis Stooley thanking you for being part of uh, The Warrior's Way this week, and we will see you again soon on The Warrior's Way. This. I get a phone call from Regis He says, do you want to be a millionaire? They put me on the show and I went with two lifelines to spare And I picture this, I act like nothing ever happened And bury all the money in a coffee can Well, I've been given more than Regis ever gave away I was a dead man who was called to come out of my grave And I think it's time for making some noise 